Okay. Oh, recording in progress. Very good. Okay, continue. Um, let's go. Let's open up your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 16, verses 8 to 33. I'll give you a moment to turn the pages. <laughs> There's a sound I miss in church. I'll tell you that right now. The turning of pages of the Bible. But we'll get back there someday. Um, maybe. It's good. It's all good. Um, but I want to finish up. I want to try to finish up this uh, John chapter 16 today, talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me just take a moment to pray one more time over this tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We, we, we love your word. Uh, we want to enter into your word. I know our, our minds and our hearts are heavy towards Daniel and Refine. But we pray, though, that we can glorify you uh, by digging into your word and appreciating what it says. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So you remember last week that Jesus taught, uh, was teaching his disciples of the coming Holy Spirit and the work uh, in the life and the ministry that the Holy Spirit would have in the life of the disciples and in our lives, too. The work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is known and identified as our advocate our helper, our comforter, our healer, our reminder, our teacher of all the truths of God. This is all positive. Everything about the Holy Spirit is, a, is meant to show that, that when the Holy Spirit was to come, he was to be God's, that God would be beside us always, that we could be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. For, for the life of the believer, the Holy Spirit was a gift it wasn't a burden or a, or, a, or a curse in any way. And all this was given so that the disciples and, and us as well could bear testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be able to walk in our faith. Uh, and also in walking to our, in our faith, we would have the words to stay. We would, we would remember what Jesus said. We would live like Christ. In every way, we would be a, a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. But it wasn't all positive for the disciples because Jesus tells them, he warns them last week we, we saw of a coming persecution where they would be persecuted for their faith. They would be kicked out of the, the synagogue and they would even be put to death. Uh, and then the people who would be putting them to death would think they were doing God a favor by doing it. But now in verses 8 to 11, Jesus will teach of the work of the Holy Spirit upon the unbelieving world. Last week was focused on the believing world. In these next few verses, we're going to focus on what the Holy Spirit will do in the unbelieving world. Look at uh, uh, chapter 16, verse 8. John chapter 16, verse 8. Start there. Okay. Uh, I'll read from the NIV uh, here. Uh so Jesus is teaching, he says, when he, when he comes, meaning when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So... Notice this. Jesus is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. Now, who is the world? The world is the non-believing world, is who Jesus is referring to here. 
Notice this, see this, for the believer, the Holy Spirit is an advocate, a helper, a comforter, a strengthener, uh, a spirit of truth, all good things, all positive things. But for the unbelieving world, the Holy Spirit is a prosecutor of these of them. So we we can see the Holy Spirit because of faith as a as a, a helper and a, an advocate, someone by our side. But for the unbelieving world, the work of the Holy Spirit will be one to prosecute, to convict. Notice that word convict there in the scriptures, to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. These are strong words. See, the first thing he says is he says the, the Holy Spirit will be the convictor of sin. He'll convict this, the world of sin and the sin of because, the, because they don't believe in me. The main sin that will be convicted will be the sin of unbelief. Now, the sin of unbelief, I, I would contend to you. People would say to me, what is the, there's a, there's a teaching that Jesus gives about the unforgiving, the unforgivable sin. The sin of unbelief is the only sin that will bring someone to hell. Notice that. The sin of unbelief is the only sin that can send you to hell. It is the unforgivable sin because a person can go their whole life. And then at that 11th hour, as we famously say, they can come to faith and belief and then they will go to heaven. But if they die in their sins, if they continue in their rebellion against God and be in unbelief, and that all, all along the Holy Spirit has been convicting of them of their unbelief and they're ignoring the, the spirit and the things around them, if they continue to be in unbelief, they will go to hell. That's the sin of unbelief. I think that's why the Holy Spirit identifies this, that Jesus identifies this as the work of the Holy Spirit because they don't believe in me. So the Holy Spirit is going to always convict them uh, of sin. Okay. So uh, any thoughts on before I continue on? I, I said a lot of things. Anybody want to uh, jump in with any kind of comment or concern or anything at all? John, you said the Holy Spirit convicts the unbelievers, but he also convicts believers too. True. That is absolutely true. And it's not a condemning, it's a conviction. Yes, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. Absolutely. But not of our unbelief, but of our sin. We do, we do get convicted. Uh, and rightfully so. And it's a positive thing. Karen, is there a positive thing that the Spirit convicts you of your sin? Because oh, it yeah. makes you want to sin no more. You know, I mm -hmm. thank you for that conviction. Right? Very good. Thank you, Karen. But in yes. an unbelief, in an unbeliever, there is no Holy Spirit. I mean, they don't, it doesn't reside in them. Well, it doesn't reside in them, but the Holy Spirit identifies what sin is. And, and I, I didn't say it, all right? But I'm just saying what Jesus said here in this verse, mm -hmm. that the Holy Spirit convicts them, convicts the world, because they don't believe in him. Mm -hmm. So there is a work of the Holy Spirit that is done throughout the world to convict the world of sin by identifying that it is sin. Even the person who's not a believer knows what sin really is. They don't want to admit it. They want to ignore it, but they know what sin is. And I believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Peter, you want to say something? I hope I can. Um, 
there are two different meanings to the English word convict that we're sort of missing here. Okay. For the believer, conviction means that you are convinced of something. For an unbeliever, conviction is more a judgment. So the different meanings to that same English word. And it doesn't come across in the English what the Greek says, which is, you know, I convinced I convinced you that you are sinning versus I convict you of your sin. Right. Very good. Excellent. Excellent job. That's true. Okay, so we have sin. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and unbelief, of disbelief. The next thing the Holy Spirit does for the world is it convicts of righteousness. Because they, what, what it does is the Holy Spirit shows the, the, and teaches the truth of God. Now, when Jesus was walking on the earth, he taught the disciples. Remember, he's talking to the disciples here. He's teaching the disciples. We, 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 we latch on to it, and it is true for us. But, but when Jesus was walking along the earth, he was showing the righteousness of God. He was teaching the people the righteousness of God uh, as, a, as a model. When he leaves, now the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches and shows the truth of God to the world. Whether or not the world wants to believe it or not, that is, that, that's not the issue. It's the Holy Spirit is the one that, that speaks of the righteousness of God. Now, we can, we can even say the righteousness of God for the unbeliever is, is a burden because the Holy Spirit says this is right before God's eyes, and the world says we don't care what's right in our eyes. But so there is a conviction of that righteousness. Um, and then the third one is a, a very simple. Jesus is very simple when he says it. He says the Holy Spirit comes in judgment. Because the prince of the world, who is Satan, is condemned. Now, I could use some help on this, to be fair with you. I wish, I wish that Jesus would have said more on this. I really do. But, yeah. <laughs> but he basically says the Holy Spirit places judgment upon Satan. That, that Satan is already condemned because of the work of, work of Christ. Any, any thoughts on that? Can anybody help me with, with that, that last piece there about judgment? The judgment that Satan is condemned. Could it be because uh, Jesus already, um, let's see, how would I put this? Uh, at this point, had Jesus gone to the cross? No, he had not gone to the cross. He might be talking about what will happen with the, the cross is the, the victory, without a doubt. The, whole, the resurrection is the victory. When the Holy Spirit comes and he does this conviction, that victory will already be in place. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. <clears throat> You're, on target. You're on target there. You're on target there. Yeah. So I think at this, this whole time, he is talking about, it's being talking about um, the persecution of Jesus, I believe. Um, if you go on the other side of my Bible where it says, I have told you these things. Now this is way back in uh, 16, but 29. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, he's, and uh, actually 33. 
And he says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he has not only overcome the world, now Satan is put in his place, it seems oh, to yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that Holy Spirit always is stronger than Satan, right? Just as Jesus is always stronger than Satan. It's really an encouragement because the Holy right. Spirit judges and has judged the prince. The prince of this world stands condemned. He's already convicted of his action before the Spirit. Okay? I think it's an encouragement. I think it's an encouragement. I do too. Right. Okay. So... I know that's what the work of the Holy Spirit will be. That's what Jesus says in verses 8 to 11. Uh, some of it I could go deeper. Some of it I don't understand. Honestly, I don't understand. But uh -huh. I think Jesus is very clear about it, about what the work of the Holy Spirit is. For us, he is a comforter, an advocate, a helper, uh, a tr uh, brings us in the truth. For the world, there's, there's a conviction that goes on there. Uh, and there's a conviction for us that's in a positive way, as Karen and Dr. Pete have pointed out. Okay, so let's look at verses 12 to 15. Let's move on to 12, 15, 12 to 15. Uh, would somebody like to read that for me, verses 12 to 15? I have much more to say to you, <clears throat> more than you can now bear. Mm. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Mm -hmm. Good stuff there, really. Now notice in verse 12, he says, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you. Then he's talking to the disciples, but you're not ready for it. You're not ready to hear it. You ever wonder what you ever wonder what that was? What that would have been? What is Jesus referring to? Do you think Jesus wanted to say much more, but they weren't ready? What do you? What do you? Did you ever wonder what that was? How he was going to die? I mean, I don't know. Well, that might be something. Yeah, the crucifixion. They didn't want to accept the crucifixion right now. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Again, Jesus doesn't say what he would have said, so we don't really know. Um, but uh, he does tell them, you're not ready yet. You're not ready to hear it. Uh, but when the spirit of truth comes, he says, the spirit of truth will do, do really four things that I can see. The spirit of truth, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you, he will guide you first. He will guide you in all truth. Now, when Jesus says all truth here, he's talking about all the truth of God's word. You know, the, the Greek is all the truth, all the truth of, of Jesus, who he is, what he does, uh, and what he did do. It's not all the truth of everything, because he didn't give the Christians the ability to, to master math, you know, or science, or, you know, he didn't give it to me anyway. I don't have that gift. So it's not, it's not all earthly truth. It's got to be all of God's truth that is made known uh, to the disciples and to us, which means to say that when we read God's word and we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us. The, one, the Holy Spirit is the one who, who brings us to the scriptures and reveals to us what the scriptures are saying. You can read the scriptures as an atheist and have a totally not understand what's being said 
But when you give your heart to the Lord, the spirit speaks to it. It comes alive. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever had that experience before? Do you remember reading the word maybe as not as a Christian and then reading the word as a Christian? Do you remember the difference? Jump. Yes, uh, Winston, go ahead, Winston. Go ahead. One of, one of the things uh, uh, that happened when you are sharing the gospel of Jesus and in the process, it is incredible all the verse of the Bible that come to your mind, things that constantly you don't remember. But in that moment, like for like an act of magic, all the things come to you. And you have the right verse to serve. You have the right thing to say because the Holy Spirit, even when we are not listening, you know, maybe in the sermons, maybe the teaching, all the things, the Holy Spirit, at the moment that you need it, he will put the word and he will remind you all the things that Jesus went through and the things that Jesus said. And Winston, that's what happened to the disciples. So the first one is to guide you in all truth. And then the Holy Spirit will speak to the disciples what God would have them to say. What God would say to them, the Holy Spirit will tell them what to say. And that's what exactly what happened. That's what happened at Pentecost with Peter. That's what happened throughout all the books of, uh, in the in chapters of Acts. Whenever they were given uh, to share the gospel in any way, to stand before the leaders, they were the Holy Spirit would speak to them and tell them what to say. And Jesus says, everything that Jesus tells the Spirit, the Spirit tells the disciples. See, they, they work together. The Holy Spirit works with God the Father and, and Jesus the Son. They all work together. They're never separated. The Holy Spirit will not speak on his own. Jesus speaks to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to the disciples. So the words that the, the teachings and the reminding and all that the Holy Spirit is doing is coming right from Jesus to us through the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? Everyone? Yes? You cannot. Okay. All right. And then he says this in number four. He says, the Holy Spirit will tell them of things to come. He'll tell them of prophecy. They will become prophets. He will reveal to them what they will, what they will happen in the future. Now, here's a question, guys. I did a lot of talk. Now I have a question for you. This is a question for all of you to think about. Are you ready? And are you ready for the question? Are you ready? Okay. Does the Holy Spirit speak to you? And how does the Holy Spirit speak to you? I mean, I think he speaks to me through my conscience, you know, um, for sure. Okay. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> Thank you. Jump. Yes, Winston. One of the things that um, the Holy Spirit always does is that he used any moment, any incident in your life. You can even win watching a movie in your house. And there's certain things that the Holy Spirit will use to talk to you. Sometimes it's something that's happening in the street, you know. So the Holy Spirit is always working, trying to bring you close to God and, 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 and guide you to become more like Christ every day. Okay. All right. 
Anyone else? How does the Holy Spirit speak to you? Or does the Holy Spirit speak to you? Do you think the Holy Spirit speaks to you? Yes, he points you to God's work, which is where God, which is the Holy Spirit has penned, you know, penned through, the, uh, through men uh, influenced by the Holy Spirit, what God has to say. So he'll usually point you back to the word of God, uh, which is really God's definitive word. In addition to circumstance, in addition to impressions, in addition to judging, you know, that we all, you know, I think we all agree that that's, that happens in our lives. The word of God is what God has to say. I think that's. Absolutely. I will say this. The God, God speaks in many ways in the Holy Spirit. And I'll let you guys answer this by your own testimony. But, but for me, the Holy Spirit speaks to me more clearly and more definitively through his word. When you're, when you're reading the Bible, and that's why it's so important to read the Bible over and over and over as much as you possibly can, because the Holy Spirit will make the words come alive to you and will speak to you where you're at at any particular time. There's been many times where I read the same passage for 40 years, and depending on where I am in my life or my faith or something that's going on, it's like I never saw that before. Mm. How can I never see that? I've read that 10 times, you know, and that's just the way the spirit works. Absolutely. But there's others. If that, that's very good. So that is the centerpiece, without a doubt. That is the centerpiece. But how else does the Holy Spirit speak to you? I'll give a few more. Someone else speaking? Okay. No, you Usually are. I feel, okay. Usually I feel the Holy Spirit um, the, the most often and the, the strongest is when um, I'm in a conversation and the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go down that path or don't address an issue. Usually with uh, in a kind of counseling or mentoring kind of situation. Yes, that, because I'm a woman, and there's a lot of talking going on in my life. Yep, yep. And then, uh, that, and Lynn, that's probably happened because you prayed before you're having that conversation. You know, so I would say prayer is definitely a way in which the Spirit speaks to us. When we pray, God speaks to us. Prayer is not just a one-way conversation; it's a two-way conversation. Yes, you agree with me on that or no? Okay, yeah. good. Um, yeah, I also think he gives you a discernment. That's a sense of discernment. Absolutely. It's a spirit. Yep. Discernment. Yeah. Wisdom. Wisdom. Mm -hmm. Good. I'm going to share something with you that happened that, for example, what was it like three weeks ago, Peter did a song in, in a worship time, and I could just feel the spirit moving through the song. And and I and I heard a word from the Lord say, go up there and continue to sing this song. Continue to sing this song. And we did. And it's funny because, well, it's not really funny. It's, it's, it happens all the time. But my wife was saying to me, because she was up there, she goes, "Hun, I was praying that we would continue the song. I just didn't know how it would happen. Mm -hmm. And God had spoken to me to go up there and say, we're going to continue to sing this song. That's just an example. That's one example. Uh -huh. let, me just, let me say this to, to you, too. How the, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's a good thing. But there is a test. There really is a test to it and what you need to be careful. The Holy Spirit, the validity of the Holy Spirit's voice is this. 
It never contradicts God's word because they work together. They speak the same word all the time. They'll, the Holy Spirit will never con, uh, contradict the word of God. The Holy Spirit will never tell you, go steal that apple because that's not what God's word would say or anything at all. The Holy Spirit will not can, not can, uh, contradict God's word. Um, and I believe that the Holy Spirit will always lead you to Jesus and glorify Jesus and glorify God. Always working for you to glorify God, for you to grow in your faith. Everything is geared towards bringing you closer to Christ, to be conformed to his image. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So just be aware of that. But I do believe, and also I would say a third thing is, if the Holy Spirit is directly guiding you to do something, it is very wise for you to bring that forward to other believers, strong believers, stronger believers in faith, and get a confirmation, maybe in prayer, that this is what the Holy Spirit would have you do. Always take the time. If the Holy Spirit tells you to become, be, go be a missionary somewhere, you want to you wanna test that out. You know, you want to you wanna check it out with other Christians to find out if they have the same the same voice from the spirit because the spirit, when he's given you a ministry to do, will confirm it in a very, in a very strong way. All right. So that's what I would say. Who will receive the Holy spirit? All who believe and belong to Jesus will receive the Holy spirit. Any last thoughts on uh, what we've talked about in the last, like say 10 minutes, anything you want to add to some of my heresy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only teasing. All right, very yeah. good. John, I was just going to say that a lot of times I'm asked to speak, you know, in a, with a, in a front of a large group. And so I prepare uh, what I'm going to say. And, um, and I just pray, God, give me the words to say. But then before I uh, actually say, present, <laughs> because I've done a few eulogies, which were very nerve-wracking, <laughs> especially to, to a Jewish audience. And of course, to me, it was a great opportunity to witness and I wasn't going to not take advantage of that. But here, you know, you're talking to a bunch of unbelievers. So, but, so I would have something prepared and I never really just, uh, I know some people think it's, it's good to write it all out, but I, I just don't do that. I get nervous doing that because then if you're reading it and then you, you know, kind of your eye goes away from <laughs> where you are, then, then, you, then what? So I usually outline it and uh, of course rehearse it and, you know, go through it. But then before I actually start to speak, I, I, I say to Holy Spirit, you know, Holy Spirit, give me the words, Holy Spirit, lead me. I do that a lot when, um, even when people ask me questions that are tough uh, about it, whatever. And I will say, say, pray for the Holy Spirit to give me words. And then you're so amazed because when you finish, then you say, oh my goodness, did I really say that? And or people say, oh my goodness, wow, what do I? and then you say, that wasn't me, you know, <laughs> that was not what I planned to say. And uh, and it usually comes out really well done because they're words of God, right. you know, and the right. convicting words. So I'm saying I think it's good to always ask the Holy Spirit to, guide, to guide your Excellent. words. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, let's move on to verse 16 to 19, okay? Uh, can I get somebody to read that for me, verse 16 to 19? Annette, would you like to continue to read that for me? You did such a great job before. 
in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of, the, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the father, they kept asking, what, is it, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I, what I, what I meant when I said? In a little while, you will see no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Okay. I, the truth. <laughs> You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Okay. So let me ask you something. What do you believe when you read this that Jesus is talking about? What is Jesus talking about here in these verses? I think that he, he, he is such a compassionate God and such a loving one that all this time he has been preparing his loved ones for what is going to happen in the future. But he is saying, I am here. Soon I will not be here. You don't even understand what I'm saying right now, but trust me, you've known me all this time. You will understand sooner or later, but when you do understand, it will be very sad in the beginning until, of course, until the resurrection. But before you will see me go through a lot. And you too will have the same pain because you love me. That's what I think. All right. So what he's saying is he's saying, uh, he's basically telling him that he's going to die. Yes. And then he's going to rise from the grave. Right. Yes. But the disciples don't understand. They don't understand what he's saying. Nope. To me, it's amazing at this point that they don't understand what he's saying. Yeah. But I believe they don't want to understand what he's saying at this time. <laughs> he, he, they, who's laughing? They don't want, they don't want to understand. Because Jesus doesn't tell them directly, uh, they're going to crucify me and then I'm going to rise from the grave. I mean, yeah. he said that in the previous in ministry, but he doesn't say it here. He doesn't want, he does, they don't want to believe that he's leaving. They, they, in their mind, they, they've only, they put a block up. They put a barrier up. They don't want to believe that he's, that, he's, that he's leaving them, that he's going to die. They, they don't want to have any part of understanding that. They wouldn't accept it anyway. Even if he did say it, I don't believe they would have accepted it. No. Um, but, but amazingly though, you know, the raising of Lazarus from the dead didn't happen that long ago in their world, but how quickly they forgot that Lazarus rose from the grave, that Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave. Uh, he tells them in verse 20, like you read, you're going to weep and you're going to mourn and you're going to, you're going to grieve and it's going to turn to joy. It will turn to joy. And, and again, he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about what will happen after the crucifixion. And then he gives an excellent analogy in verse 21. Verse 21, he says this. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Wow. I love Jesus is so smart. I love that analogy. That's a great analogy, right? You go through all that pain, but then when that baby's born, I'll tell you, I'm not a, I never endured it. I watched it happen, but I never endured it. Uh, you know, uh, so I don't know. Is it true, ladies? Would you say that that's accurate? 
Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah. it is. It's a great analogy. It's a yeah. great analogy, you know. Um, and then verse 22 goes on to say this. Uh, verse 22 says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you'll rejoice and no one will take away your joy. No one will take, at that point, after you see me again, no one will be able to take away your joy. The resurrection will produce rejoicing and a joy that will not be able to be taken away. Why will that joy not be able to be taken away at this point? After the resurrection, why is that joy not to be taken away from these, these apostles? That's these when the Holy Spirit comes in and you're, that's of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we all feel that joy, no matter how difficult thing, you know, things are, you know, you find, I know I certainly have experienced it, a certain, you know, peace, mm -hmm. you know, even, or especially I should say in sorrow, there is a peace. And Alice, if the Holy, if the Red, the Lord did not rise from the grave, if we did not believe that Jesus was alive and he conquered death, and the Holy Spirit was not there to, to remind us of that particular truth, then we wouldn't have you would you wouldn't be able to have that joy and that certainty. And for the apostles, to them, when Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered death. He was alive. He would ascend to heaven. And then a great faith would be upon the disciples, right? All because he rose from the grave. That's what it's all about. And then he ascended to heaven. And they watched him, not only did he rise from the grave, but he walked with them for 40 days. And then he ascends to heaven. So they don't see him die again. They see him go to heaven, knowing that he's alive in heaven. That he's dead and real. Any thoughts on what I just said? Anybody want to add something? The sheer joy of realizing through the Spirit, but just realizing what God has done for us. I think that's the joy that doesn't go away when you realize what God has done. Um, it's, it's an amazing, overwhelming joy that should be with us always. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I, I, I want to go back to what you had said before, because uh, I don't usually do this, but I was reading a commentary by Matthew Henry about verse 20. And it was a great, a great a quote from Matthew Henry. I want to read it to you guys. Believers have joy in sorrow according to whether or not they have or do not have sight of Christ. Meaning to say the Christian has joy in sorrow when they focus on Christ. But when they take their eyes off the Savior, they don't have that joy. It's the sight of Christ in our lives that gives us this joy. That's what I thought Matthew Henry was leaning towards. I like the quote. I wanted to read it to you. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, yes, thoughts. <coughs> okay. Let's continue on. We're almost done. Verse 23 to 28. I'll ask somebody to read. I'll read. Okay, thank you, Alice. 23. To 28. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Mm -hmm. Though I Keep going, keep going, Alice. I'm sorry, keep going. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. No, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Wow, strong verses. Yeah. After, the, after the resurrection, what will change for the apostles? What will change for them after the resurrection? According to these verses. Everything is, in my opinion, everything would change. You know, I think it was harder. I, I mean, you know, I, like I said um, last week, I've been, we've been studying um, Mark and we've studied Matthew prior to Mark. But for me, I think that it's easier for us to, um, to accept or to, um, believe, you know, um, Christ and his promises more than the apostles, because, um, and I say that because they, I mean, I mean, they had him there, but, and, you know, they thought of him as a, as a teacher, as a, you know, um, as one of them, you know, I mean, yes, they, you know, always expect, you know, at, um, refer to him as being higher, but um, you know, for us, I mean, we we live by faith. They were actually seeing things. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's you know. Okay. Okay. All right. I no, like Go ahead, Sal. You first, and I'll go to Peter. You know, yeah. The other thing. <laughs> okay. Peter first. Okay. That's, go ahead. Go ahead, Peter. Go ahead. I mean, first of all, if you if you read it, what it's saying is that you're not going to have to ask me to ask the Father. You're going to ask the Father directly. And my question to the group is, well, what does that make? What does that mean? Why is it uh, important that you're not going through Christ, but you're going directly to the Father? Okay, we'll right. talk about. We'll talk. Know that or understand that. We will. Are you hearing me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. In a few minutes, we'll understand that. Sal, go ahead. What do you want to say? Sal, what he's saying is that you are now priests. Okay. You because you can directly go to the Father. What's that? 
Yeah. You're, you're a priest. You go to the Father. You don't need an intermediate. But you're still praying in Jesus' name. That's and true. He does, and he Thanks. is in the right hand, you know, interceding for us. Very good. We'll get, we'll get there. I promise we'll get there. Go ahead, Sal. What do you want to say? Go ahead, you're up. I just want to say that I... The, the verses become much clearer. What does that mean in Jesus? Uh, Peter, Peter, let's let let's Sal talk, and then we'll get there. We will get there. I promise. The I promise. verses become the story becomes much clearer to me when I when I realize the his context of the of who he's speaking to and how he, who he's who this applies to. I mean, shoehorning me into some of these verses just doesn't work. I am not there. I am not. There's some of these things that that don't apply to me. Although there is plenty of double application in what he's saying. But this really, it really makes more sense. And I read it much more intelligibly when I'm viewing it as a story of Jesus telling, this is recanting Jesus telling his disciples these things. And when I get into trouble, when I want to say he's talking to him and me, he's talking to them and me, and everything he's saying applies to them and me, but it doesn't. I don't, I, there are certain things on here that are not said to me. And they're not, you know, I, I've not been with him. These gentlemen have been with him. You've been with me all along. You've heard me. You've, I've spoken. We've spoken together. Well, I've never been there. So that's when the unclarity comes to me. And when I take that out and understand it's a narrative about what happened, it just seems to make much more sense. Again, there's always double application. I get that. But there's some that just isn't, just doesn't fit. I don't think anyway. Okay. All right. All right. Let me, let me, let me bring it to a few places here, okay? What'll, what'll, because the question was, what'll change for the apostles after the resurrection that Jesus is telling them? He basically tells them, if you, you won't have to ask me, you won't have to ask Jesus. You can ask God directly. Okay. Doesn't mean that Jesus left out of the picture. What he's saying is, when Jesus walked this earth, they went to him directly to ask the question. So he won't be there physically with them. They will have the spirit. They will be able to pray and ask God directly, and God will give them an answer through the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, they'll ask and they will receive, and their joy will be complete. So within the power of prayer, within the relationship of prayer, that they will ask God, and they will receive what they ask for. Primarily, I believe, because they'll be praying in the Spirit, and they'll be praying in the will of God. Right? Everything that they will be doing will be for God's glory and for his purpose. We don't see any of the apostles ever asking for anything that was outside of the will of God in the scriptures. So they will ask and they will receive, and then their joy will be made complete. When Peter heals the beggar in the temple, and he might have prayed to God, God, let me do this, and God lets him do it, then his joy is made complete. He asks and he received, right? So... They ask and they will receive. And then notice that Jesus says, I will tell you plainly about God. I'm going to stop talking figuratively. I'm going to talk to you plainly about God. Now, how does he do that? He does that through the work of the Holy Spirit after the resurrection, even after the ascension. Because in the time that Jesus is, those 40 days, he's still talking to them figuratively about, about God. It's not until mm -hmm. after he read, after he ascends and after they receive the spirit that they have clarity of what Christ was saying all along. Peter had much more clarity 
when he stood up there and he gave his sermon, it all came back to him. The Holy Spirit was speaking clarity to him. Okay. Now, verse 27, I think, goes south, is a really cool verse. And I think that it applies to them as the apostles, but I think it is encouraging for us as well. He says this in verse 27. Know the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And I believe this. I believe these are very encouraging verse. It should have been for the apostles because Jesus is saying God loves you. But the reason that God loves you is because you love me and you believed that God sent me. Now, isn't that true for us as well? That we know that God loves us, but God loves us because we love Jesus. If we don't love Jesus, I don't, now this is just my opinion. I'm not talking, I'm not talking outside of this. If we don't have faith and belief and love Jesus for who Jesus is, then I don't believe that God the Father loves us the way he loves us if we believe who Jesus is. I'll let you chew on that for a second. Well, he you sacrificed. I'm sorry, he sacrificed his son. Yes. You know, so, I mean, think about the agony that the father went through. So right. in other words, like I, I, my son is, is going out there for you. And if you don't believe in him, it must have made God, it must make God very sad when you don't believe in Jesus. That's how I can think of it. Okay. All right. But when you do believe, when you put your faith and your belief in Christ, the relationship that God has with you and you have with God changes. Uh -huh. Does it not change? Or am I wrong in saying this? No, it definitely changes. The relationship changes. But the, the, <clears throat> we believe in God, though, because God prompted us. I mean, God changed our hearts to believe. I mean, we didn't choose, but I don't know if the apostles chose Christ and they're like, it gets a little murky because we can't believe in God unless God gives us the ability to believe. But then God loves you because you've believed. But without God helping me believe, I would have never believed. So I, you know, I get a little confused as to that whole thing. And I appreciate that God loves me because I believe, but without him, I don't know that I would have believed because I hated him before I, I hate, you know, I had no relationship with God, nor did I care about anything before he kind of like captured me. So it gets a little confusing for me. I think for me, I think that's where, that's where I, um, where I can affirm I am a follower of Jesus Christ versus the Catholic that I was before. Because the Catholic that I was before, yes, I knew of Jesus, but I was for God. Um, but when I be when I, you know, when I started coming to the Baptist church and I realized that it's it's a, it starts with, you know, yes, it starts with God, but we have to you know, focus on Jesus, you know, that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sure you've heard me. I know John has heard me say before, I don't call myself a Christian. I, I am a follower of Jesus. And I think that's, uh, 
the key. I just want to point out, though, that, that Jesus is saying in verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you love me, love me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus was very simple when he said it. And I, I, I just latch on to it, that, that I am loved by God because I love Jesus. If I reject the Son, then I reject the Father. So I know that I am loved by God because I love Jesus. And I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. If I don't, am I a friend or am I an enemy of God if I don't have Christ? An enemy. Um, but, you know, I, I get what you what you are saying, John. Okay. But, um, Paul say that when we were enemy, God loved us and... God sent Jesus because he loved us. And I think uh, that maybe we cannot get confused with the way to go to the Father and to have a relationship with the Father. That is Christ. Christ is the one that bought us, that rescued us, that lived this perfect life in my place. And when I go out of Jesus, I am enemy of the plan of God and God show infinite love by taking human form in Jesus to give us freely salvation. When I have the uh, audacity to say to God, uh, I don't care if that you die. I don't care that you left a perfect life. I want to go my way. That is what take us to hell. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank, thank you, Winston. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Notice this also going back to, I just want to mention something about prayer too, because it talks about, you know, you can ask God and he will, he'll answer you. We still, when we do pray though, we pray in Jesus's name. Why, why is that important that we pray in Jesus's name? We just can't say, well, God, I'm just going to ask you, but I'm going to sidestep Jesus. That's not the case. Jesus says, ask in my name and you will and you will receive it. So why is it important to ask in Jesus' name? Again, Jesus is the one who died for us. He is, you know, I mean, he's he's the representative. He was God's, you know, I mean, that may be a poor choice of word, but he gotcha. was the one that sent that God sent for us. And you know, and and, and when he was no longer on earth. We got the Holy Spirit. So, every, yeah, of course, everything, you know, you can't go to God without going through Jesus. That's clear. When you pray in Jesus' name, what you are doing is you are placing your faith, your trust, your belief that Jesus is who he said he was and can do what he says he can do. And you're, and you're placing the authority and the ability for it to happen in Jesus, not in anything else but Jesus. So when you when you say a prayer, you're saying in Jesus' name, you're saying, Lord, I'm praying this in your name because it's in you that this will this will happen or not happen. You're the authority, not not me. You know, you're the Lord, not me. And I rest in you. And he says it to the, to the disciples there. Okay, so. All right, let's uh let's finish up. We're uh, almost done. Go ahead. Who's saying? Who's talking? 
Yes, the tunnel. Now, you're right about in Jesus' name kind of thing, but it's not liturgy. You know, it's not like, you know, just add this on. I think you have to understand what name means in Scripture. Mm. It means it's the total, the name reflects the totality of your character, of who you are. So if you're praying in Jesus' name, you're praying as if Jesus was praying, not you. You're praying in his character. You're praying as if you had his character. You are praying as if you had his desires and his love. And what you're doing is conforming yourself to Christ. And that is why those prayers are answered. Because if you conform your prayers to Christ, meaning that you are praying as if Christ was praying, well, then God hears those prayers because this is his son and he will answer those prayers. It is not, you know, I want a new Mercedes in Jesus' name. Amen. No, that's not what they're talking about. It's talking about praying in God's character, in Christ's okay. character. And I think that's a very important aspect of all this. Excellent. You know, Sal, the, yeah. your paradox that you brought up was... It's looked at by people like Paul and Augustine and John Calvin, and their answer was, yes, that's a paradox, and guess what? That's what it is, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Excellent. Let's just finish up now. So I want to bring this point out. Verse 28. Look at verse 28. I came from the Father and entered into the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. I just want to tell you, this is a very, this is a very strong uh, doctrinal truth here, that Jesus came from the Father, he entered the world, he's, he left, and he's coming back. It, it speaks of the, what they call the pre-existent or the eternal Christ, that Jesus was from the beginning of time, not just from the birth of Mary, uh, but from the beginning, Christ was there. He came into the world, he had left heaven, he came from the Father, and entered into our world. So before he was born, he was pre-existent. That's where this, this verse would, would help you with that. That's a doctrinal truth, that Jesus came from the Father, meaning he was pre-existent. He entered into the world. He left, and he went back to the Father, and he's coming back again. All that is doctrinally true within this one verse. All right, next. We're almost there. Verse 2930. 2930. Then Jesus' disciples said, now, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things. <laughs> I can't even read. And that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come from God. Now, <laughs> this is an odd statement. Is this not an odd statement from his disciples at this point? Uh, maybe I'm just thinking it's an odd statement. And notice this. 
the, the, no disciple is identified as, as asking this, as saying this, right? He's saying the disciple said this, and it sounds to me like they're bragging. Like they, they finally get it, and they're like, Lord, now we understand. Now you're speaking clearly without figurative language. You know, that, that we, we now believe that you came from God. Wow. Thank you for believing that I came from God, right? Because notice what Jesus does. I just got to laugh at this. Jesus challenges their faith. He says, verse 31, do you believe? <laughs> Jesus replied, a time is coming. And in fact, it's come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my father is with me. He's telling them, you think you got it all figured out? You guys are going to leave me. You're all going to forsake me when it comes to it. And they do. At the, at the garden, they all forsake him. All the disciples forsake him, right? At the cross, we know the disciple. He was denied by, by, uh, by Peter. They all forsook him, right? So he's challenging them a little bit. He's like, I don't, don't think you got it all together because you still are going to forsake me. But Jesus assures them this, and he tells us this. He's never alone because God is with him always. His father will be with him always. Now, verse 33 is a promise. He ends it, this chapter with a promise. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says, take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. You haven't overcome the world. We haven't overcome the world. Jesus is the one who has overcome the world, not in our strength, not even in our faith or our belief, but in Jesus. Jesus is the one who has overcome the world. So my ending question is this, and we can go around for about a minute and then we'll close. What has Jesus overcome in your world that has brought you peace? What has Jesus overcome for you that has brought you peace? I know he's always there when I call on him. So I have that faithfulness in knowing through scripture and what I've been told and through my faith that when I pray, if I'm in trouble, if I'm afraid, if I'm worried, I can call on him and be and count on him being there for me. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. He's overcome the, uh, the fear and terror of dying because He's conquered death. He's overcome the fear and terror of uh, rightfully paying the penalty for all the wrongdoing because he paid for that. So this, that's just two easy ones. Those are two easy things he's overcome for me. Okay, excellent, excellent, thank you. Anna's gonna share. You can tell by her Yeah, I, I would just add, you know, when he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. I. I, I see it as he has overcome the sin of the world, you know, that um, overcoming the sin of the world means he has conquered death because death is the wages of sin. Okay. What about for you, Anna? What has he overcome for you that has given you peace? You don't have to answer. Just to think about it. What has he overcome for you that, is giving, that gives you peace? All right. Winston, can you close us in prayer, my brother? 
certainly. Yes. Heavenly Father, um, your mystery, the way that you, Christ, and the Holy Spirit work is so deep, so fascinating. The way that we are connected with Christ, protected by Christ and rescued by Christ. The way that you love us, the way that you guide us through the Holy Spirit is magnificent, oh Father. I can imagine, Father, a human history without Christ, without you guiding and controlling the history. I can't imagine, O oh Lord, how faithful Christ was leaving your glory to come and suffer in this planet just to rescue us sinners rebels but somehow you came and died for us thank you for those things father Thank you, Lord, for the privilege, for the guidance that the Holy Spirit gives us every time that we open the Bible, for the privilege to see wisdom, for understanding your word, Father, when so many people don't have this right now. Thank you for keeping us safe. For the blessing, Father, that and of the freedom of studying your Bible openly and express our opinion, Father. Thank you for such a great life that you have given us in Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Don't leave yet. For next week, I'd like you to, we're going to look at John, the Jesus' uh, high priestly prayer as he ends the Olivet Discourse. But I want you to focus on studying this verse or even just reflecting and meditating on it, maybe coming back with something to share. But on 17, verse 3, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Just take, just take time this week to reflect upon that, and we'll see what we can do next week. All right? Either way, we'll see you guys on Sunday. We're doing John chapter 9. Read John chapter 9 to be prepared for Sunday, okay? All right, excellent. Good night, everyone. Good night, John. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.